Coming up on Back of My Play, we remember and revisit the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive version of the Capcom Arcade Classic Mercs. And I do want to preface before we get into the episode that the day before we recorded this, I started getting the beginnings of a head cold, and now it is full-blown. So I apologize for my sometimes inability to put together words as quickly or as coherently as I would like to otherwise, but I did clean up the episode a little bit. At the end, I really hope that you make sure you go and check out Mercs, find a Sega Genesis, and, and play that because it is a game that should not be missed. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and let's get right into talking about Mercs. Hello, welcome back to Back in My Play. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and believe it or not, this is episode number 100, even though if you look at the RSS feed, you'll see like 122 episodes in there, but I guess officially this is episode number 100, and for this episode, we're going to be talking about Mercs on the Sega Genesis and the Mega Drive specifically, and joining me for episode number 100 is none other than Peter Brown of GameSpot.com. Peter, how are you? I'm good. It's an honor. I actually did not realize this was episode 100. Yeah, well, originally it was going to be Zelda 2 out in uh, Tokyo with, with John Riccardi. We were going to talk about Zelda 2, but I luckily got out of doing that. And for, <laughs> for, for you know, sarcasm aside, it's for a good reason. It looks like there's going to be a special guest that is going to be flying into Tokyo in a couple weeks. And at that point, they will get together at 8-4 and we will record via Skype and I'll have three people that are gigantic fans of Zelda 2 against myself, which has tried uh, multiple times to get into that game, but still has not, I have not found the magic sauce that everyone seems, or the, the diehard fans, uh, diehard fans seem to find. I, I keep forgetting, where do you fall on the Zelda 2 fence? I'm on your side. Okay. <laughs> I think, you know what it is, is that I just, I love so much what the first game does that when I yeah. try to play two, it just, it just feels wrong. Um, and then anytime I get into combat, I just get my butt kicked immediately. And it's like, yeah, maybe I don't, maybe there's other games I want to play right now. Right. And I, this is probably a poor and unfair analogy, but you know, the the kind of cool thing about games on the NES back then, and I know we're talking about Mercs this week, but cool thing about on the games in the NES and in games of that time period is like you saw games like Castlevania to Castlevania Two, where they tried drastically different things in the the sequel, which is one of the the pros on the side of of Zelda Two. Hey, at least they didn't just make another you know Zelda game in the likes of the original. But I would say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I would I would have loved that. <laughs> I know that that's what I'm saying. Like that's why when we got Link to the Past, we're all like finally they went back to what makes the Legend of Zelda game great. But if you look at Simon's Quest, that did not work out so well. So you can be ambitious, you can try to do something different, but you're not always going to hit a home run every single time, unlike what they did with Breath of the Wild, which I believe like forty five hours into that game, I think they hit a home run. And you obviously did too. Absolutely. I have 110 hours. I'm still playing, still finding new stuff. I'm still just as jazzed as I was weeks ago. Yeah, that's why I still, I mean, with the limited uh, features of the Nintendo friend codes, I'm still amazed that uh, I can see you pop up online. Like, he's still playing The Legend of Zelda. I mean, not like there's a ton else to play on that console, but uh, it is it is impressive and it is definitely a sign of 
know, how how amazing that game is that you can put in a hundred plus hours into it and still want to go back to it when you got some free time. Yeah. So like I said, we're going to be talking about Mercs on this episode and some people might say, Hey, that's a really interesting game to pick for your hundredth episode. Shouldn't that have been a monumentous occasion? But I like to think that every episode of Back of My Play is a monumentous occasion and that it is always a special episode whenever we talk about a video game on here. And Mercs is a pretty badass game. Uh, I will say before we get into that, I want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. There will be some changes to the Patreon setup uh, going into April. I'll have some more details on that in the next week. And of course, for Patreons, you guys are going to be getting a message about that in a couple short days. But uh, what I'm going to be trying to do now that I have... uh, pretty much for the most part left my, my current job is really invest more time and, and try to make the, the podcasting, I guess, business side of things work out so I can create more content for, for back my plan for the thick ass, of course. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, also there, there may be a follow-up interview with Frank Cifaldi. There were a lot of questions and a lot of positive feedback from that interview with Frank. People had more questions on, uh, what, he and the team over there at the Video Game History Foundation are, are doing. So we'll do another one of those in the next couple of weeks. And then following up again with last episode, uh, I've already talked with Mike Micah. We're going to be having him on as long uh, as well as most likely one of the programmers for the Disney Afternoon Collection on an upcoming episode. So we'll get to talk about all six of those games. Plus, again, this is something that we'll be able to talk about more after the release of the game, uh, once things are, are out there, we'll be able to talk about all the work that went into the extras of that collection, including uh, the history that's included in the museum, as well as the extra features that they have in the Eclipse engine for that package. So that will be coming up on a future episode. Uh, Peter, have, have you guys been able to check that out? Have they been doing previews for that yet, or is that stuff uh, still a couple weeks out? Uh, still weeks, months out. Yeah, I haven't seen anything just yet. Okay, then we'll wait uh, along with the press until that uh, ends up in the hands of people that can talk about it. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear some music. And the music for this episode is going to be coming not from the arcade version of Mercs. It's going to be coming from the original version of Mercs, or the original mode that was made exclusively for the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive version of this game. So that's what you're going to be hearing if you want to look it up later. But stick around. We'll be right back with the history of Mercs on the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive. the history of Mercs. And like I said before, we're going to be talking about the specific Sega Genesis and Mega Drive home version of this game. But of course, it originally came out in the arcades on the CPS-1 hardware in 1990. This was developed by Capcom. And if you, if you had the chance to go and check it out in arcade, it is, and I think this needs to be brought up just because I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this episode that never experienced arcade machines 
that had vertical monitors because that was something that was uh, you know pretty prominent in Nintendo arcade machines where you would have like the Donkey Kong games with a vertical monitor and then you'd go to play Popeye and it would be in a horizontal monitor. And a lot of these cabinets actually had the ability to pop out the monitor, turn it around and allow you to change from the vertical to a horizontal setting. And if you get a arcade machine that might've been uh, converted multiple times, you might actually see multiple sets of brackets inside of the machine to allow you to go from a vertical to a horizontal and vice versa. Um, this is one of the prime reasons why the Sega Blast Cities and Astro Cities and the uh, Taito Candy Cabs, those are really great because they actually have built-in uh, ability to move the monitor from vertical to horizontal. And some even have like like uh, a setting where you can literally just turn it inside of the machine and not have to like pull the whole monitor out and, and put it back in. But I just think that's worth bringing up because it will make sense why the game itself is set up the way it is in the Sega Genesis version. But sorry for that ramble. I just like to talk about arcade stuff when I get a chance. Um, <laughs> like I said, we're going to be talking about the the Genesis version. And this is one of the games that, you know, when Sega brought the the Genesis out in the in the United States and the Mega Drive out in, in Europe and in Japan, uh, to get games on their console, what they did at times was say, hey, you know, you guys have this great arcade game. We are trying to bring the arcade home. So what we will do for you, like, hey, Capcom, let us have Mercs. What we'll do is we'll do all the work. We'll do all the investment. Just lend us the property. And we will actually reprogram this game for our hardware. And like Mercs, another game that they did this for, which allowed for a fantastic arcade port, again, considering the hardware capabilities, uh, was Ghouls and Ghosts, which is a fantastic version on the Sega Genesis. And they did the same thing for, for Mercs. So this version came out in 1991 in September in Japan, and then also uh, in North America it came out on October in October 1991. So this is a follow up to Commando, which uh, Peter, I don't know, have you played the the arcade or even kind of the somewhat janky Nintendo or NES version of Commando? Uh, I definitely played Commando a little bit back in the day, um, but I was more of a jackal guy. Oh yeah, which you hell mentioned yeah. To me when we were planning, I mean, I was at the mercy of my brother's, you know, game purchases. <laughs> <laughs> he he ruled the, the NES when I was a kid. So um, yeah, jackal was what we had. It wasn't like until maybe a few years later that I played Commando at a friend's house or something. But certainly not really familiar. Um, but I have a funny story about the film Commando when we talk about playing the game. Hell yeah. Uh, in yeah. A few minutes. This was this is kind of you know part of this though the the history with the, I mean, not only the movie Commando but it was just like really popular for action games in in this era to have not only a, a top down setup but also just to be a guy with either a tank top or ripped shirt or even no shirt just muscles and like I love it in this game and it's in other games where. These guys are so buff and strong that they literally hold their assault rifle or they hold their gun with one arm and they hold their other arm by their side like they don't even need it for stabilizing the, <laughs> the gun because that's how strong they are. Um, 
but like you said, we'll talk about that in a little bit. So when they brought this home, the arcade version itself, the CPS-1 version, allows for three players simultaneously. So it was a really great moneymaker for arcades because you're going to be able to have three players playing at once. Plus, the arcade version is hard as hell. It is meant to basically suck as many quarters out of you as possible, but still have that nice balance of of fun and difficulty where like, yeah, it's you know, eating up my quarters, but I still want to see what happens next. I still want to continue uh, playing this game. When they brought it to the home on the Sega Genesis, and we'll talk about some other ports before we get into the next segment, but when they brought it to the Sega Genesis, Sega said, you know, we're we're programming this. We're going to put a lot of work into this, and we're going to also increase the value of this version that we're bringing home, which was a mistake that they may have made with some of their own games like uh, Altered Beast uh, or even on uh, other games like, uh, why am I completely blanking on the name? Not Shinobi, but what's the other ninja game that's not Shinobi that has a really short, it is like (laughs) Strider. Oh my God. Yeah. So thinking of Strider, uh, which thankfully Peter Brown remembered and Strider is like roughly 25 minutes long. If you play it through it on the Sega Genesis, it's like an $80 cart when it came out. When Sega reprogrammed this game, they said, hey, we're going to give you a little bit of extra value and we're going to include this original mode. They made a brand new version of Mercs with much longer levels and a completely new soundtrack, uh, which did add a lot of extra value. So you didn't just play through this brutally hard arcade version that if you were able to get through it, took you about 20 minutes they also included this original version uh, as well. But unfortunately, both the arcade and original modes are only single player. So you're not going to be able to play with a friend. If anything, you're probably going to have to hand off the controller to each other, which I don't know. I guess that's okay because you don't have to get into those arguments like you did with Contra when someone ends up losing all their lives and then they start eating into yours, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I suppose. I, <laughs> that's a good justification if I was going to be the the Sega rep and to try to sell you this game. Uh, also, you will notice when you play it on the Genesis, there is the the scoring and the uh, statistics are actually taken up with about um, one-fourth of the side of the screen. And we've had other games do this in the past. A lot of times... It's not just to say like, yeah, we want to make you make sure you see, see your stats clearly. In games like Super Mario Brothers Three, what they did that to allow to have to draw less pixels on the screen for performance and to allow them to do cooler things graphically. That's um, the equivalent of hitting the the minus key when you're playing Doom for better performance on your 46. But with this, they were actually sure in part doing that, but also they're maintaining that vertical monitor setup that it did in the arcade. So it was a much truer port than just either stretching out the screen or having to redraw a bunch of extra stuff on uh, the screen itself, which I don't know, I like that seems to make a lot of sense. It's, it's, I kind of like that better than what they did on the NES and the Famicom, like what they did to Donkey Kong to sp- like spread the screen out. It, I'm not a huge fan of that. Mm, yeah. <sighs> I, I don't know. I, I still come back to when I think about performance in this game that there's still slowdown even when there's a single yeah, there player. Is. <laughs> <laughs> and how much better it would feel if I could play with a friend. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's that's. I mean, that was one of the things that when I pulled this game out a couple of years ago, and I had a friend over, I'm like, dude, let's play Mercs. Like, I just had no because 
actually, we'll, we'll talk about this in the next segment. I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, anyways, like I said, the, the soundtrack is really outstanding. And you're going to get the arcade soundtrack plus that new original soundtrack that was made specifically for the Mega Drive game, both of which, have, which are available on the... I believe it is a four disc, uh, three or four disc top secret slash commando CD set that was released last year in Japan. And you can still order it through Amazon Japan if you want to pick it up for roughly $50. Really fantastic piece. It includes not only uh, soundtracks for uh, commando, multiple versions of Mercs, but also for Bionic Commando, including the absolutely horrid arcade version of Bionic Commando's soundtrack especially compared to the Famicom version, which is super duper rad. And I want to mention, like, this is the 80s and 90s. Lots of ports are being done of these games. And this game was ported to so many different pieces of hardware, to uh, to hardware that had no justification for having ports of this game. Because you look, and this is, uh, you know, a great reason to go to hardcoregaming101.net, but they have a fantastic article on uh, Commando. Go to hardcoregaming101.net slash commando slash commando.htm, and you're going to be able to see all the different ports of of Mercs. And they brought this thing to uh, the Master System, which is a really interesting port, uh, which is almost like kind of not bad. Uh, they brought it to the Amiga. They brought it to the Commodore 64, which... Wow, does that sound like a? It sounds like a European version of Mercs, uh, and also the uh, ZX Spectrum, which like the game barely functions on that. And the Amstrad CPC, uh, go in. I'll put this in the show notes. I'm gonna have a link for a video comparison of all the ports, and it is just like it almost doesn't even look like Mercs. But still, when there is a market for it, you're gonna create a port, whether it's good or or not for those systems. Yeah, I anytime I see a game on the I just say ZX Spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's rough, especially if it's been out on other platforms. <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean that's a a console that's brought up or a computer that's brought up quite a bit when people talk about ports and and, and games of this era, and I just don't understand how people played games on that thing. Like it is just it is like an Atari 7800 in quality. It's just not there. It's not even close to what you would have gotten from the the NES or like you just look at the Commodore 64 version, which is probably, you know, somewhat uh, closer to what you would have gotten from the NES, something in between the Commodore and the Master System version. Yeah, but, it, you know, it does stand uh, to say that obviously this game was pretty popular if it was going to make it onto, what, over half a dozen different systems. Yeah, I mean, that says a lot. It does, and and, I, and it, again, it's fascinating to at least go and, and check that out. I, hats off to anyone that is able to put together those comparison videos because they are really valuable and uh, really fun to to look at. And also, take a look at the arcade version. The main thing, like with this port, is that uh, they really did a great job porting the arcade game to the Sega Genesis. But obviously, when you go to that arcade version, you're going to get uh, much higher resolution graphics and uh, better sound. And of course, you're not going to get the slowdown like you got on the the Sega Genesis. Very, very fascinating stuff. So aside from that, I think we can pretty much wrap up the uh, history of, 
of this game. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back with uh, our histories and memories of this game back in the early 90s and maybe even just talk about some early Sega Genesis ports as well. So stick around. We'll be right back. things are starting to heat up you know super nintendo is out now sega is not only just bringing the arcade home they're also bringing out some really legit original titles for this console like that little hedgehog sonic so i wanted to not only talk about our histories with this game like i said but also bring up just some some ideas of what the time period uh was like but we'll get to that at the end so I don't know, like Mercs has always had a special place in my heart for some reason or another. It just took a long time to do it on the show, partially because I didn't think that it would be a long enough game to talk about on, on Back in My Play, but we'll see that that is not necessarily the case in a, in a little bit. This was one of the first Sega Genesis games that I ever played, and my first experience with this game was not on the arcade. It was on the Sega Genesis at my buddy uh, JJ's house, so I, I think I brought him up in the past, but he was like the quote unquote, like rich family that our family knew because his parents owned not one, but two McDonald's franchises in 1990, 1991, 1992. Like those things were bringing up, uh, bringing in tons of cash, like not even supersizing yet. They were just bringing in lots of money through Happy Meals and having cups that featured the dream team on them. He had, he had a Sega Genesis before I had a Super Nintendo and he would had a copy of of Mercs. And maybe one of the big things that stood out for me, again, keep in mind, I was at this time like seven, uh, seven or eight. It was the incredible violence of this game, specifically the animations when you have a flamethrower and you have guys just burning to death. I thought that was rather cool as a kid. Peter, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like at this time period, like like ninety ninety one, I think we've talked in the past that you were a little bit later to the the Sega Genesis. Um, but but what was like on your periphery at the time? Were you starting to get tempted by this this hardware when you were able to see like, oh yeah, they are actually really bringing awesome arcade ports to the home. I wasn't I wasn't like aware. I think of the idea of like porting arcade games at that time because I was like five or six years old when mm-hmm. nineteen ninety came around. Um, but I, you know, that was the time when my brother sort of stopped caring about video games and it was up to me to pick the next console. And I picked the Sega Genesis because I totally bought into all those stupid ads that Sega was running with attitude. And, um, what were they, I mean, you, I, I would say, and this is a battle that will continue on for centuries, but I think if you got a Sega Genesis over a Super Nintendo, you still had an incredible lineup of games to play. Yeah, but you know, I the thing was all my friends still played Nintendo games and so I was left 
kind of to my own curiosities when it came to discovering Genesis games, which meant going to Toys R Us and looking around the aisle at cover yeah. art and thinking, hmm, which, which game do I want to take home today? And I did not always strike strike gold. Uh, I struck out actually <laughs> quite often. So but, I'm but, actually these days kind of really discovering what's great about the Genesis and, and picking up those games, including Mercs. Yeah, I, I think uh, that that is still something that I would love to have is, you know, the early, I actually, you, you kind of compare box art and stuff like that. And this is something I could have talked about in the last segment, but for the most part, like the box art on the, especially the Mega Drive versus the Genesis version of games is almost 99% it's going to be superior on the Japanese version of of that game. And the same can be said for, to be honest, the Super Famicom uh, as well, considering they didn't have to deal with the, like the template Nintendo of America had where every box kind of like had that same border and all that stuff. And they just had to put an image in the, in the middle, like with the, Super Famicom and even the Famicom games, like you go vertical or horizontal, but that's a different different topic. I, I thought the early Sega Genesis box arts uh, in the United States were badass. Like you kind of look at the the box art for Ghouls and Ghosts. Uh, you look mm-hmm. at the box art, even even for Mercs. Like you were kind of joking before we got started. Like the box art art for Mercs is is ridiculous. It is a it is you know another Jack dude with his clothes partially torn and uh you know a machine gun in his hand but at the time like i would kind of say maybe that is 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 what sold but like that is even the inspiration for the logo for back in my play when i talked to lloyd is like i want it to kind of look like the original sega genesis mega drive box arts like like moonwalker and like i said ghouls and ghosts and even like uh, Streets of Rage, like they just had really cool box arts. The Japanese um, v- uh, v- uh, version of this cover for Mercs. Um, so much better. So much better. So much better. <laughs> so, so much better. Uh, I was looking at that yesterday because I was like, man, well, we can get into how surprised I was by the game. <laughs> I was just doing a little bit more research and I was like, crap, I think I'm going to, just because I, I, I lust over things that look pretty on my shelf. I might try to get that version of the game too. Totally. And and someone out there, I don't know how legal this is, but if you want a, you know, a way for me to give you money, like make some sort of uh, browser interface where I can select, I don't know, what would it be like a dozen box arts and then hit save. And then you print me out an awesome poster and send it to me. That is what I would love to do is have a poster of like my 12 favorite box arts from the the Genesis or my or from the Super Nintendo or from the NES or whatever um, that would be cool and even better the Game Boy because they had perfect symmetrical you know square boxes but yeah I will I will put the box art uh, for this in the again in the show notes and it is just like it doesn't even look like like a generic army dude he looks like Bionic Commando minus the arm mm. which probably ends up making sense considering they're kind of overlapping with the the franchise, but yeah, it, you're right. Mega Drive box art in Japan, like those are the raddest things ever. Um, Outrun too. That's why I own a copy of Outrun on the Mega Drive. Along with my my personal history with, with this, like I said, I played it a lot on the the Sega Genesis, and this is actually the very first Sega used Sega Genesis game that I bought after I got my Model Two with. And I will bring this up every time because I don't think I should let my parents live this down. They're awesome for getting me uh, a Mega Drive, because, or excuse me, a, a Genesis Model 2 because it was in between those years of 
you know, getting a lot of Super Nintendo stuff. And it was right before, it was 95, it was right before the N64 would come out the next year. But, you know, those Model 2s were pretty cheap. And getting that packed in with Sonic 2, Charles Barkley's Shut Up and Jam, which is... <laughs> I would I would actually argue that's actually a pretty decent arcade basketball game. I, I I don't think you can go wrong if you go and check that out today. It's probably probably terrible, but I remember being like, you know, what? it's not NBA Jam, but mom, it's pretty close. Um, <laughs> and then what I can only assume to be a discount bin pickup, like, hey, let's get this kid one more game because it's only like ten or twenty bucks. You know, everyone's favorite puzzler, Zoop. <laughs> so that was great to have because you know what having only three genesis games at that christmas i played a lot of of zoop but then i ended up getting i traded in a couple super nintendo games one of the first games that i picked up was mercs along with eternal champions on the sega genesis because those were both like 10 bucks of funko land at the time and i had just enough credit my first few genesis games were really weird so sonic the hedgehog yeah because i was packed in love that game also, I chose Dick Tracy for some reason, which is a bad game. Yeah. Very bad game. And I think I was still kind of high off the, you know, the movie had come out just like a year or two prior. That was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but but my brother, in his infinite wisdom back then, got me uh, Toki going ape spit. Okay. Which, is actually, which was actually a very, like, strange and interesting platformer. Um, but yeah, I didn't. Man, I was so out of touch. <laughs> I did not know what was good on the Genesis for years. Oh my God, yeah, Toki. Yeah, I remember this game. Uh, again, it has that. And if you look at the box art for Toki and then you look Ugh. at the back of my play logo, uh, you'll see the inspiration with the, like the cool <laughs> grid background. I, I love, like, I love, it's like that CRT, like the arcade, you know, monitor calibration test screen. I kind of, I don't know why that looks really cool, but. Yeah, maybe we'll have to bring you back on and talk about Toki. I mean, I'm looking at the cover art right now. He's he's holding a banana that he, that's untouched. It's yep. been unwrapped, but not eaten in one hand, while barfing what looks like magic yellow pellets? smoke and magic pellets at a really pissed off turtle. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's if anything you know says action, it's it's that. But then you go again, look at if you're doing an image search, you look at the Mega Drive version, you'd be like. That looks a little bit better, yet they look like little like child human monkey hybrids. So that's uh, some t- oh, uh, some yeah, there's a little somewhat uh Jeez. Juju Densetsu, the legend Anything of Juju. Can be anime if you try hard enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And then you look at the back of that box art. Now this is becoming a box art episode. There's also <laughs> just um you might understand this a little bit better, but then there's again uh you know, what looks like an Amazonian white anime dude uh, being held by a, uh, you know, scantily clad woman. If I remember, at least in the American version, the story went that the guy was turned into a monkey and had to rescue. Oh, that makes sense. Because um, she was kidnapped. Ah, man, it's been years, but. It's like the Rocket Knight backstory. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's, yeah, again, like. I don't know. I, I still have some really fond memories of of that those early Sega Genesis games, just how they were kind of throwing everything against the wall and, and, and porting everything and doing all these, you know, weird um, partnerships. And like I said, like they like reprogrammed this. Like they did all the work for for Capcom, which is a much better than what Capcom did for their 
remember those early Famicom games that they brought over, like oh, yeah. Trojan and, and their uh, Ghosts and Goblins that were just absolute garbage? Yep. Uh, this yep. was a much better way to to make it happen. But um, so did you end up like end up uh, renting this game or was it just like, yeah, man, like that, that cover's not grabbing me inside of Toys R Us. I'm going to wait until Sonic 2 comes out. Yeah, I must have just glossed over it because um, like, I always kind of knew the game existed. Uh, but it wasn't until I was at a flea market just a few years ago that I found it for like, you know, five bucks. And I said, yeah. okay, yeah, why not? It's a complete early Genesis game. I'll just grab that. Um, and, I, and it's been sitting on my shelf ever since until you asked me to do this episode. Fantastic. That's what I love to hear. Making things happen and inspiring others to play fantastic video games. The other thing that I want to mention, this is, again, in that gray area history of, of my past, but... When I was getting into arcade stuff, like after I bought that uh, Marvel vs. Street Fighter cab, you know, eventually I got bored of that. Uh, so I took the the CPS2 board out and I bought one of those, what I can only assume to be Chinese produced, uh, like 1200 or 1401 Pentium 4 PC motherboard JAMA monstrosities, which ended up re- being really cool. And like, I would still be interested. I don't know what happened to the stuff that was in the offices of GameTrailers.com, but I'd love to know what happened to that arcade machine because that was where I got the idea for it is like that is what they had in their office is, is that like 1,401 boards. So that's how I ended up playing a lot of Mercs uh, in about the year, what to call it, like 2009, 2010 was on that arcade board. And again, you know, the arcade version is pretty close to what we got on the Sega Genesis, but again, three players plus you had unlimited continues because you had control of the board and much better graphics. So when I got back into like collecting for retro stuff, one of the first Genesis games I picked up was Mark's and it was somewhat tough to go from the, you know, arcade version, looking at that on a VGA monitor and then going to the Sega Genesis version, which at that time I would not have been running it on a CRT. It was on like a 50 inch Samsung uh, LCD TV, which as we all know, is not going to do a lot of great things with a composite signal. I don't know, do you, do you have anything else about like your history of that stuff? Because again, kind of one of the things that I wanted to, to hit on and we already did a little bit was, um, you know, it is important to note how important of a selling point those arcade ports were for home consoles. Like that was something where the arcades were still thriving. You're still seeing some of the biggest games of that era debuting in the arcade whether it be the stuff that was coming out of Chicago and Midway with NBA Jam and, and Mortal Kombat or the stuff coming out of Japan from, from Capcom, be it Street Fighter 2 or, uh, you know, the multitude of light gun games that came out as well. You know, the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo were really competing to say, yeah, we can really bring this stuff home and we can maintain that level of quality and detail and Hopefully, if possible, we'll allow not just one, but we'll allow uh, multiple players just like the arcade version did too. Yeah, that was uh, something I just totally missed out on. For me, back then, it was like Street Fighter was... Street Fighter, you know what? Afterburner. I cared about Afterburner quite a bit <laughs> as a kid, but it, but it wasn't the same without that that huge the moving The moving cabinet that like right. swung you back and forth. Yeah, that was... If, if you want to see one of those, I, I mean, you can always pop in a copy of Terminator 2 uh, because that's how... John Connor became an incredible <laughs> general of the future was playing Afterburner, which uh, of course makes complete sense. But let's do this. So let's take a quick break and we're going to be right back with our fresh revisiting memories of Mercs when we come back in just a moment. 
to 2017, and, and believe it or not, we're not the only ones thinking of Commando and thinking of Mercs. Uh, Camille's on, on Instagram, as we're recording this, is now posting pictures of a port of Commando, which I can only assume is from a phone version because it looks like they are vertical pictures of it, and the title screen includes a new copyright of 2017. Hmm. Interesting. So when I'm looking at, uh, and the cool thing on Instagram is you can see translation, and all he says is Instabuy. All right. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well, that's you know, look out for a port of Commando coming to your phone, which I'm sure will be. A blast to play on a touchscreen. Uh, I, I, I'm really pumped to hear your thoughts on on Mercs because, uh, you know, just really briefly, I was doing some video stuff. Like I'm testing out some new video series for for patrons, in part for patrons and in part for for uh, everyone. And the first thing I wanted to play on this this new series is basically um, with the idea of basically trying to get as far as you can before a game over was was Mercs because you figure, oh, you know, I'm going to get like 30 minutes in maybe uh, then then reach a game over at some point. But I ended up having so much fun uh, that I'm like, we really need to to do this episode. But I'm kind of curious after being assigned the task of of opening up <laughs> that that box that you got from the flea market and popping in that cart of of Mercs, um, how'd, you, how'd you go about it and, and what'd you think of it? All right. So I wasn't I didn't like go on YouTube or watch any videos, nothing like that. I was kind of basically going in blind, and, awesome. I, and I didn't understand at first that this was tied to Commando. So I didn't even have like any hopes of like, okay, Capcom made this game, this will be great. Super ignorant. Uh, and so I was playing this on my CRT in the background, and this is—I swear to God, this is a complete coincidence. Uh, I just decided to put on Commando, the movie, uh, <laughs> which which I'd also never seen, and I figured, okay, well, if for some reason Works is boring. I can at least hear, you know, Schwarzenegger doing his thing in the background. It before I knew it, I had lost sight of Marissa Tomei. I had lost sight. Oh Wait, no! Was Marissa Tomei? No, it was. What's her face? It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, Alyssa uh, Milano. Alyssa Milano. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was very impressed by Schwarzenegger carrying an entire tree trunk over his shoulder, of course, but it it really didn't take long for Mercs to kind of grab me because I quickly realized. Wait a minute. This game is actually pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, wh- why have I been sitting on this? Um, and I found it to be a little easy, if I'm honest. So I, I had to turn up the difficulty. Um, I was able to get to the fourth stage. Wait, were you playing uh, the art? Are we talking the arcade mode or original arcade, mode? The arcade mode. I got to the fourth stage on my first okay, try. You're a you're a arcade video game playing god. I don't know about that. Well, that game's think, super tough. <laughs> really? Because I found. Well, I know we're going to get to it, but I found the original version to be a little less forgiving because at least in the arcade mode, you get continues. You had continues, yeah. right? So, um, you know, I quickly learned like how to manage space and manage my trajectory. But mm-hmm. you know, I I love the sprite work. It kind of reminded me of uh, the Super Time Force game or the yeah, Ultra- yeah. Just so I don't know, I I, I was kind of captivated by that and then i started noticing all this like capcom-esque uh sprite stuff going on and yeah i kind of just fell in love with the game yeah it's it's and this is the deal is you know what we we could talk about the arcade version um but i think if you're coming to this game in in 2017 you should make sure that you 
take a good hard look at the original mode because I personally, I find the arcade game to be super unforgiving. Like you do have the ability, at least in the options to set it to easy mode, which allows you to get a couple extra hit points and the bosses are a little bit easier uh, in terms of, of having less health. I believe that this package is all about the the uh, original mode. So I I am curious, like you, you go into that original mode and you know if you haven't checked this out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna sell you on it a little bit because again, this was made exclusively for the Genesis and Mega Drive version of this game. And when Sega put this together, um, as I mentioned before, completely original soundtrack, brand new stages. The stages are uh, much longer and much larger than the arcade stages. Like some of the stages in the arcade game literally take a minute, 90 seconds to get through. Yeah. Um, where on the original version, those stages, those missions, I should say, are, you know, could be five minutes long, like substantially larger. And that's like if you're if you're running through it. So what they did was, and, and you brought this up a little bit, is instead of just having one dude, because again, you go into the arcade, you have the opportunity to have three players going at once. You have three characters, like a red guy, a blue guy, and a green guy or whatever, of course. And you have the ability to pick up new items and get health pickups. In the original mode, it is a really, I believe this is a really great action game because not only do you have all those mechanics that you would expect from the original marks, like you have really good um, action going on in terms of, like you said, you're managing uh, the screens and where enemies are coming from and, and uh, the, the weapons that you're going to be using. You get to get into uh, awesome vehicles like a, a, a Jeep or uh, you know a jet ski boat type of thing. And you know have it has its own individual health bars and stuff like that. But this original version has so much more depth because you have, like you said, you don't have any continues. So you basically have the life of whatever character that you're using. So if you want to think about it this way, use a comparison to something like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or even in some senses, Mega Man, because you start out with Rifleman, and they name these characters after the guns that they use. So the guy's name is Rifle, or Burner, or Launcher, or Laser, or Homing, which if they wanted to be a little bit more inventive, they could have called them like Rapid Fire or something like that. I don't know, like some like more GI Joe type of names for their for their characters. But what happens is you stumble upon these tents and these tents in the middle of a battlefield. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's where they are. Um, they're, they're, that's where you would put them because that's and and they're cool. They're like they're on your side, but no one's attacking the the tent, which is like re- they must have some some sort of like Doctor Who type. Uh, field around it so you don't really see it unless you're supposed to be seeing it but sure um <laughs> you know you're able to have progression throughout this game and throughout all the characters so like that original character that you're starting with you can improve their speed and their power you can also pick up things like vests which reduce the amount of damage that you take and you have to manage all these characters that you have because you're picking up metals and those metals are currency those that currency can then be used in those tents to purchase upgrades or health. And when you do that, you need to be very strategic in who you're giving this stuff to. Sometimes when you go into those tents, you also get to meet someone new that would love to help you out in the battle. Like the first person you meet is Burner, which is your flamethrower guy who is 
I believe he's the most powerful character that you're going to have in that game just because of the spread of the, the burner and the damage that he can do. And you need to manage who's going to be picking up the health, who's going to be picking up the power-ups, who's going to be picking up the special attacks, and who's going to be picking up the power upgrades and speed upgrades because these characters have different levels of speed upgrades that they can handle. Like some can only pick up, like Burner can pick up three. So after he has his speed full, you got to press pause, switch to a different character and have someone else pick it up to take advantage of that. And like I said, it's like it's like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the NES, which, you know, maybe not a great game, but you have to kind of manage the health between all the turtles. And you can, in different situations, you can press pause, switch characters and use that character for that situation, which like 99% of the time would have been Donatello. But <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, like, look at what they did is they took this arcade game, which is rather shallow to take your quarters and introduce all these mechanics and all these systems on top of it and created a, 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 a much longer game in the process as well, which is huge compared to what they did with stuff like uh, even ghouls and ghosts. Like they didn't really improve that at all. They just basically ported the game where this, they gave you something that was much larger than even the original game that they had to work with to start. Yeah, I, I definitely, so I played the arcade version in this game for probably like 45 minutes before I hopped into original mode. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was really cool to discover all those differences. But then I, you know, I ended up kind of, as I continued to play yesterday, Going back and forth between the two, I think I like them both. You know, for for their differences, even mm-hmm. like it's uh, they're very different experiences. But I think that they both still hold up really well. But certainly, there is like there's there's a lot more to consider in original mode. Um, and, and you know, you mentioned the stages being so much bigger. It's because you got to collect all those medals to trade in yeah. to the the tent lady for <laughs> the upgrades. Um, so that was an interesting twist because that really wasn't that important, I guess, in the arcade version. Well, and you have like the ability in that original mode to have different paths through the stages. And depending on the path that you go, like you're going to come across boxes. And when you destroy those boxes and and if you go one path, you might run into some awesome power-ups. If you go, you know, to the left, instead of going to the right, you might run into boxes just full of dynamite and you're going to get no power-ups. So it adds another level of uh, you know, reasons to go back and, and replay a stage again and to learn the layouts of the levels so you can really stack up those power-ups in your favor. Um, and another thing that I wanted to mention is uh, there is a pretty good, like like I said, lineup of characters. But if, if we're going to be real, like Burner is number one. This is my personal preference. Burner number one, Rifle number two. And I'm putting most of my power-ups into those two guys. Uh, the guy with the grenade launcher, He's he's or I guess it could be a rocket launcher too, but it kind of looks like a grenade launcher. He he's all right. Laser guy is is terrible, and I can never make it far enough in original mode to get to the homing guy, which I'm guessing is in uh, the final stage. I can make it to stage seven or mission seven, no problem, uh, which is like the 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 port that you're in. Uh, but after at stage six in the original mode, that's when stuff really gets super duper hard because you're running into these, uh, I forget what they call them, but like, I don't know why it brings me back to spies like us in, you know, the, the trucks with the missiles on the back of them. And, yes. uh, I don't know why that's the only thing that I think of when I think of those trucks, but they have those trucks with missiles that they're firing at you. So the missiles will damage you if you run into them. Plus there's also a cloud of what I can only assume to be 
poisonous gas, which has massive damage on you. Like it takes out a huge chunk of your health. And if you just get into a pattern of running into those vehicles and into those missiles, it's going to be game over super fast. Yeah. The, the art of shooting is maybe secondary to the art of dodging bullets. Yes. And I would even say even dodging the vehicles. Like I think it's really strategic to just walk. And if you can, like, again, you're going to build up uh, the speed abilities of certain characters. Make sure you have those people um, uh, activated. Like even with Burner, like I said, he goes to like three speed. I would also increase the speed of my rifle guy. So if I run into like a couple tanks, I'm going to switch to my rifle guy. So he's super fast and he can just sprint past those guys and not have to necessarily worry about their attacks because those tanks are incredibly accurate with the shells that they're firing at you too. And those shells hitting you is going to take a huge chunk of your life. Like with your original life bar, like they're going to take a third of your life every time that you get hit. So if you get bounced back a couple times and you stay in their line of sight, you're going to die very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. But the vehicles are a lot of fun. Those were a nice twist I didn't see coming, especially we, the boat. Yeah, the, the boat. And like you said, you, you go back to Jackal. Like, the, Isn't that like one of the best parts of, of Jackal is being able to get into the Jeep and just like, you know, wreck shit? Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think. Like there are, I know there's some other games that have like really good vehicle sections metal slug definitely good call good call metal slug but yeah i I always appreciate as well when those vehicles can have their own individual life bars as well so they're not like eating into your health like they just chip away the health of the vehicle the vehicle explodes you walk away and you keep going man i love this game (laughs) and it's and it's cheap like if you want to pick this up on i'm gonna do a quick ebay um, price check, but I remember uh, back in the day, like this game was pretty cheap, and even today, like if I'm looking at prices, like copy of Mercs with free shipping are going for like seven bucks on eBay. Yeah, it's super cheap. the uh, The weird thing is the the Japanese version the prices are all over the place for that thing. Uh, from like twenty oh, bucks, yeah, up you to, looked up to like three hundred dollars for one. Like I don't even know what that. I don't know. But yeah, but seriously, for less than 10 bucks for the US version, you know, yes, with the ugly cover art, uh, still a great buy. Like the perfect thing for someone who's maybe like getting started uh, collecting and, and wants to, you know, really just start playing something cool. Yeah. And it's just like an interesting, it's an interesting piece of history, too, because again, Capcom made the arcade version, then Sega did all the work on the, the home version to the point where not only on the Japanese version, but also, excuse me, on the US version, there's like no sign of Capcom branding whatsoever on that thing outside of on the bottom of the box and on the bottom of the cart saying, you know, for copyright purposes, reprogrammed game by Sega 1991. That explains why I did not put (laughs) the company and the game together until I started playing. Because I just didn't, I didn't see that on the box. Well, I'm I'm pumped. I'm pumped we got to talk about this because again, it's you know, it, it it's a it's a unique game that should not be missed. And I think there's also some there 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 should also be some props, be some props to them because you would think again, bringing an arcade game home, not having the ability to have multiple players, what they did with that original version is Basically, say, all right, we know what our constraints are. How would we make a really cool single player game with these assets and 
have something with a little bit more depth than what people would expect from our arcade game, perhaps even going off of some of this feedback that they got from Strider, what they got from Altered Beast of being too short and too shallow to not justify the price tag of the games and have, like, remember back then people could literally return games even after they opened them to Toys R Us. So people could return that game back to the store and say like, yeah, this game was too short. I, I, I don't want it. I want something else. Um, so uh, a good lesson from from them. But yeah, that's that's Mercs. I, I, again, I, I love that game and I'm so happy that um, we gave it a, a really good in-depth look for, for the show because I just had a blast. And I think what you'll hear from this episode as well is that the original version of this game on the Genesis, again, 1991, has one of the best soundtracks on the console. fantastic yeah it's really not it's it the, the whole game is surprising soundtrack included hidden gem marks on the sega genesis we'll put it there um so outside of that i think that is going to wrap it up for this episode of back of my play but before we do um you know again we're kind of talking the day before release here and you know peter it's it's been a really busy time for you at, at GameSpot. again as you know head of reviews there's been just a ridiculous amount of games coming out. And still, like, or Persona 4 is out in two weeks or next week? What? Yeah, April 4th. Yeah. Two weeks. <laughs> what are we doing? It's, uh, it's, it's a great year so far. I mean, there have just been so many games, and especially from Japan. Like, I think that has to be yeah. said. Because uh, there's been plenty of years where it's kind of like, all right, what, you know, where's the good stuff? Um, and they are delivering. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, or I should say, I, I, I feel for you for for game of the year stuff that you're gonna have to deal with in, oh, in there's November. There's already a list in my head. Like it already seems like stacked. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be impossible to figure out uh, what you guys are gonna do or what you're gonna even think personally for for game of the year stuff because I'm sure there's still gonna be stuff coming out at E3 that is going to uh, come out this year and that will be really good. Um, it's just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Uh, well, uh, aside from that, I'm trying to think if there's any other retro stuff. We're still waiting on Virtual Console on the on the Switch, but that should be coming at some point. Uh, and I will have some details on I Am Setsuna because, I don't know, maybe, uh, Peter, after I get into that game a little bit because I picked that up on your recommendation on the Switch when I was in Tokyo, um, that might be worth doing at least kind of like a, a short episode on just because of how it is really going back to the roots of, of square RPGs. Yeah, totally. I mean, that game is uh, very reminiscent of Chrono Trigger in a lot of ways. So uh, yeah, I would love to talk about that game. Wouldn't that be the awesome thing to do instead of doing the Chrono Trigger episode I've been promising for three years? We'll do I Am Satsuna instead. No, let's do both. Have you May, still not Chrono Trigger? It's so long. It's so I put I'm putting I again, I'm putting so much time into Zelda and like we'd said two weeks from now, 
Persona 5 is coming out. You, I'm, and I still have, I'm 40 hours into Yakuza 0 and I'm still not close to being done with that game. It's like 16 chapters. I'm in chapter like 10. Okay, but how, how many Zelda games are there? How many Yakuza games and Persona games are there? But how many Chrono Triggers are there? <laughs> well, there's, well, there's, you know, cr- there's just, Chrono, yeah. tro- Chrono Cross? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, related, sure. But Chrono Trigger is, is a one of a kind. The thing is, uh, I feel like everyone has to play that game. Well, actually, you know, one thing I will want to ask you before we wrap up one on this is that there was an announcement for a Mana collection um, yeah. or a, a Seiken Densetsu collection that's going to be coming out. In Japan, no details on if it's going to come out in the States, especially since uh, Seiken Densetsu 3 was never translated into English uh, officially. But how, how would you feel as someone that is, um, you know, obviously a fan of having retro video games come out in a really good uh, collections thinking about spending like 40 bucks on three Super Nintendo games. I or think I guess a, two Super Nintendo games and a Game Boy game. I, I think it's a great price. You know, I try to divorce the idea of, you know, time and place maybe or like, you know, console instead of place. I mean, yeah, these games aren't brand new, but, you know, if you're going to buy a copy of Secret of Mana on Super Nintendo, you're going to pay the price of I mean, this like collection. like 60 bucks. Yeah, I mean, on a, yeah, like on a good day, a good copy, yeah. And uh, yeah, price so might have I, gone up. <laughs> I, I honestly think it's uh, it's a pretty good deal. I, I've got my fingers crossed that we'll get it over here. It's, but I, I'm not going to hold my breath. You know, it's. I just don't. I don't see there being a big enough outcry for it, mm. or like a big enough fan base that is something like. I mean, there are some Final Fantasy games that take years to kind of get brought over here. So, yeah. what luck do we have with this? I don't know. Well, worst case, uh, just judging from a. And this is what eBay has turned into. Now, I guess this is totally cool. Like they're just literally selling repros straight up on eBay. Um, yep. Which, okay, uh, you can get uh, Second Dead Set C three. You can get the translated version on a Super Nintendo card if you can't wait for like thirty five bucks or thirty one dollars yep. shipped. Holy crap! Repros yeah. have gone down in price. Um, all right. Well. I think that is going to do it. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that. Maybe we'll get some news uh, around E3. Nintendo is uh, still you know, trickling out some releases that are going to be coming to Switch. And judging by the sales numbers so far, it uh, looks like publishers and developers are going to see, uh, see some cases of investing into the Switch that make a lot of sense because they're, people are buying games, people are buying consoles. So we'll see what happens with all that. But um, Peter, people can find you at PC Brown on Twitter. Of course, they can find you on GameSpot.com. Anything else coming up that the audience should keep an eye out for? Um, I'm trying to get a little review out for a game called Momodora, Reverie in the Moonlight, which uh, looks like a 16-bit game, uh, plays a little bit like maybe Metroid and Dark Souls. Uh, it's cool. an interesting, interesting game. It's, it's only about 10 bucks. It's on PSN and PC right now, and it's about five to six hours long. But, um, yeah, it's just a nice little uh, f- familiar kind of experience, but something unique as well. Uh, other than that, there's a feature I've been kind of kicking around while I'm getting uh, my main uh, stuff done. But I've got a feature going up about sort of the identity of nature in Zelda Breath of the Wild, mm. um, which includes some interviews with the director, art director, and technical director about their thoughts when they were you know, shaping that world. Oh, so, that, that sounds awesome. 
yeah, hopefully that I can get that up sooner rather than later because uh, you know some interesting insight and I and I really feel like that game um, kind of conveys the feeling like I'm not a spiritual person in any way, but when I used to go hiking for days at a time, mm. there are feelings I had that this game brought back up in me and uh, yeah, just love to sh- share that. I think it's it's pretty special. Yeah, I, I talking about this game, uh, people are kind of shrugging off. When I, when I was saying like, yeah, you know, one of my favorite things about this game is just walking through the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some people who have been playing this game or at least, or maybe in some that haven't played the game don't understand how huge that can be. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to checking out that piece. And hey, you know what? Go play Zelda Breath of the Wild. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Back of My Play. Please go check out backofmyplay.com and fitcast.network. And don't forget to check out the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fitcastnetwork to check out any kind of live streams that are coming up. And, you know, I've been back from Japan for about 10 days. I still can't talk, but hopefully I'll sleep at some point and my words will be able to be coherent on uh, the next episode. But until then, thank you so much for joining us this week hopefully you can go play some mercs and then next time i don't know exactly what we're going to be playing but it could possibly be Mega Man 6 so get ready for that we'll see you next time